Welcome to All Villa, No Filler, and a Ramadan Kareem to our listeners. This is a podcast all about the world's best football team, Aston Villa. In the fourth of our All Villains series, Roisin visited the Midnight Ramadan League in Birmingham City Centre on Friday night, where she spoke to Suf, who plays in the league, and Chevy from the fan diversity group Villains Together. I also spoke to Abayed Hussein, co-founder of the Midnight Ramadan League. I started off by asking Abayed what the league was all about. It's a league, a football provision that takes place between midnight and 2 a.m. in the morning. And there's reasons for that. So the, the reason it's uh, from midnight till 2 a.m. is um, is if the people observing um, um, Ramadan or, or, or fasting um, within the Islamic uh, religion, um, the, the way the fast works is it starts at sunrise Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it finishes at sunset so depending on where you are what part of the world and country at the moment in the uk it's about 15 16 hours uh, you, you're going without food and drink um for those hours um and then after after sunset when you break your fast um you have you have a, a number of religious um rituals that you have to do there's prayers there's a shorter prayer and then there's a longer prayer and that can last up until about 11 45 11 50 p.m or up to midnight basically mm-hmm. um and then from midnight till now which is around uh, till sunrise at the moment which is about 4 30 4 quarter past 4 a.m in the morning um you have this period where you can eat you can drink if it wasn't covid you could go and meet friends you could go to you know you could go to restaurants because most of the, those businesses would open later and stay open uh, open later in the evenings as well for the for the customer base um so you'd be able to do that so we just thought on the weekend uh, it doesn't conflict with any of your religious duties. It doesn't conflict with taking people away from uh, the mosques if they need to go and pray at the mosque. And it 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 it's, it comes at a time where a number of young people are most probably going to be bored at that time because there's no provisions. The the goals are going to be closed. The the power leagues are going to be closed. The gyms are probably going to be closed. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's literally nothing for you to do to keep fit and healthy and and meet your friends in a safe environment. And that's the reason why we chose those times because we knew people would be awake. Um, and again, it was not catering only for the Muslim community. It's open to literally anyone mm-hmm. that wants to play football on a Friday night at midnight. Uh, and that's what the concept was. And and it just it just just turned out to be amazing. It was a pilot, and uh, it's just constantly moving. It's a it's a very interesting concept. And you know, how many people did you manage to get involved with it, considering it is at midnight? So obviously it's not going to be convenient for loads and loads of people. But, you know, how, how many people got involved? I mean, initially in year one when we did it, um, the beauty of it is Aston Villa Football Club is in the heart of uh, B6, mm-hmm. the heart of uh, the, the South Asian community. Yeah, Literally, I think we four years ago we put out the ad um, just a funnily enough, someone actually reshared to me on, on Facebook today from a Facebook story that ad that was put out in 2017 that mm. I put out saying I'm recruiting for teams in the uh, in the for the Ramadan League, and I think it was within I think four or five days at most every every space was taken. Um, each team had ten players each, so you wow. you, know, you, got, you had like eighty players, hundred percent turning up, and you know it's shocking me because to make the, the next statement i'm just going to tell you about is because it's pre-covid this you know we're all living in this covid world now <laughs> yeah. we used we used to have around 200 300 250 to 300 spectators just turning up just to watch not that the games were like amazing or anything yeah, or there were any yeah. superstars on show it was just 
I'd rather, I'm going to be awake as a person. I'd rather come to the Aston Villa. I look at, outside the academy building. I can see the Villa Park sign and I'm inside here and I'm watching um, a game, a couple of games of football. I'm, I'm socialising, talking to my friends. And that's what it was. It's just, a, it's basically a vibe. You know, you mentioned the help that Aston Villa have given. Were Aston Villa absolutely crucial for helping the Midnight League get off the ground? 100%, absolutely. Um, uh, if it was not for Aston Villa Foundation and, and the football club, there would be no Midnight Ramadan League. That's the wow. genuine truth because I spent a good portion of three months doing market research around facilities and what we could use and where we could use, contacted local authorities, different football clubs, different, you know, you could name it. Um, I, I was in, in post as an equality officer trying to create um, footballing opportunities for those who are underrepresented. So I spent a lot of time researching, you know, how can we get this off the ground? And um, and it, without Aston Villa Foundation, there would be no Ramadan League. That, that's, 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 that's a fact. That's a given. It's, well, yeah, fair play to them. And uh, also, you know, the last year we've had COVID, obviously, and I imagine that's been ex- extremely disruptive. I mean, it's been disruptive for everybody, but also for the, the Ramadan League. So what have you done to cope with that? What we did last year during the pandemic was we, caught, we did the Midnight Ramadan show. So we had a Zoom, similar Zoom like this, where we would invite professional football players uh, who'd come on the show and uh, and I'd interview them similar to kind of like a Jonathan Ross type sh- talk show where I'd interview them, speak to them, ask them questions about Ramadan, ask them about football, mm. colleagues that they played with who were fasting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there'd be a, like a, a 20 minute uh, Q&A available for all those who have joined on the Zoom session. So young people could, you know, got to meet some of the idols, some of the players that they really, uh, you know, looked up to and they could physically ask them the questions. It was very different to the normal Instagram stuff that was happening because with Instagram lives and Facebook lives, you can't really interact actually, physically. You're just writing a question and then someone's asking the question. With the Zoom, it was the people and the young people that were on the call, they could ask the players, they could ask the player, um, the, the professional footballer the questions themselves and get a response back. Um, and we did that for an hour. Uh, and then the last hour, we, we did an online workout and we had like running competitions, um, like, you know, uh, incentives of, you know, the best um, planking minutes or the how many press-ups you can do, all the various different mm. things. So we did that last year um, for the pandemic. And it was fantastic. We had a really good uptake. Um, but it wasn't the same as the Midnight Ramadan League. We want to be out and about. We want to be kicking the ball. We want to we want to feel the chill of you know uh, leaving the mosque, going to uh, Villa Park. That journey, the whole the whole thing. It's 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 a whole vibe. Um, up until I think it was about six months ago, um, I I had a message um, from a lovely person from uh, EA Sports. Um, at the time, I didn't know from EA Sports, and they mm-hmm. said. Um, they, they, were, they were keen to have a chat with me regarding the Midnight Ramadan League. Um, and, I, and I said, yeah, and we arranged a call. Um, and, and the person on the other side from EA Sports, uh, and they uh, were wanting to pitch the idea of um, the Midnight Ramadan League to the Channel for Diversity Awards mm-hmm. um, up against the likes of big, big companies, um, which I didn't know at the time. Um, and so they, we had a call and I said, yeah, this is amazing. This is um, EA's angle was um, not the, the religious aspect. EA's angle was more around 
the South Asian representation or, yeah. or the lack of representation? How can they raise awareness of, you know, their, their FIFA database was showcasing so many South Asians were playing the game on, in, on console, but why weren't they being represented on the pitch? Mm-hmm. We had a good chat. Uh, I, felt, I felt it was genuine. I felt it was, these are the right people to, to go with and, and let's speak about this and do this pitch. We pitched a Channel 4 Diversity Awards and EA won the award um, to create and advertise that will showcase the Midnight uh, Ramadan League and showcase South Asian, raise awareness on South Asian football. We did the ad and this was in March, March, couple of months, uh, last month, mm-hmm. March the 17th or 18th. We were doing the ad and as I was going through the process of being part of the ad, the rehearsals, I was just thinking this is going to be amazing. Um, and then and then the Prime Minister announced football can return on the 29th of March. And that's when I thought, because we weren't planning to do a, a Ramadan league this year. We were, we, were, we were all set for another midnight Ramadan show. We were going to do a Zoom calls and we were going to do the same thing as last year, up until Boris Johnson announced that the 29th of March football can return. That's when I really said to EA, look, we need your help here because, you know, you're doing this ad, which is fantastic. Can you please also support us uh, with our midnight Ramadan league? We can't do it indoors this year because the COVID regulations of the risk of transmissions, um, we've got to do it outdoors. Now, thankfully, about nine months ago, within the time of the pandemic, we were also given access to our own uh, piece of land by Birmingham City Council, which is uh, kind of a, uh, an, a secluded kind of area away from the general streets and public. Yeah. Um, and we just thought, why not have the Midnight Ramadan League take place outdoors this year? It's, it'll be COVID-friendly. It won't reach any covid um, issues or anything like that uh, and EA said yeah we'll support you um, you know comms media all of that kind of stuff will help you however we can um, and um, we what we did was in in a very short space of time I think over two weeks uh, loads of guys behind the scene that helped me with the uh, sort of stallions um, we, we we got wooden pallets we started drilling them together we we to build a kind of like a the power league type five-a-side cages so seven aside cages to yeah. give you that kind of look and we've literally spent the last two three weeks non-stop uh on the weekends and every day after work um, building these football pitches so we can put on the midnight ramadan league and the reason we're having to do that is because in a short space of time there's no funding available well there probably is funding available but the short the turnaround required isn't enough to go and seek that funding to go and uh, you know ask and get support from um to, to put it on so we've had to do it from literally scratch mm-hmm. um there's no ready-made building that like we had at the aston villa foundation we could just walk in and the building there and you switch on electricity and lights <laughs> it's not there this is yeah. this is the outdoors it's like bare grills basically um so we're out there every night setting it up and um but what we've done is um realized very quickly that uh, we're going to have to restrict the numbers because of you know every, we still we have to still remember we're still in a pandemic yeah. um which is a bit of a shame because it's left a lot of the community uh, who were interested in turning up and watching and stuff a little bit disappointed because it was a time that they would have been out and about anyway mm-hmm. and they can't really congregate anywhere else and this would have been a perfect place for them to congregate and just watch a game of football have some have, have a cup of tea uh, and relax um and and it's just been amazing um so we've had to restrict the numbers, but we're still having the 200 players and managers turn up every single day on, on a Friday and a Saturday. So yeah, it's been fantastic. All Villa, no filler on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. It's past midnight here and we've watched the first couple of matches at the Midnight Ramadan League. 
It's a cold night, but it hasn't stopped people turning out to support, to volunteer and, of course, to play football. I'm with Suf, who plays for Sutton Coldfield Town and has played at the Midnight Ramadan League every year. I've been told he's the MVP. Is that right, Suf? Yeah, I guess so. If the people say it, then... <laughs> Look, it's a Friday in the, in the holy month of Ramadan, so can you just describe your day to me? Yeah, well, um, obviously, we're all working people, really. Uh, we wake up, we go work pray during the day, obviously, try and uh, practice as much as we can, because at the end of the day, we're Muslim, Ramadan's about reflecting and um, boosting our faith, really, and then um, football and all of that's just a positive at the end of the day, so, yeah, broke our fast around half eight, and then just prayed, and then came here, and now we're just enjoying, relaxing, enjoying our weekend, yeah. And how important is it to have something like this to come to? Yeah, it's very important, like I said, because... In Ramadan, it's hard, although we do it whilst we're fasting as well, but um, when you're not fasting, it's just a lot more easier, if you know what I mean. And it's a good vibe, like you, you see all your friends and stuff, and everyone gets together. And, you know, it's competitive as well, and that's what everyone likes about football. So it's, it's just a, it's a big positive. It's yeah. a big, big positive. Yeah, it's, it's a great vibe. It's a great community vibe, actually. And, and we were talking before about the lack of opportunity really in football for people in this community um, why do you think that is? Um, I think the thing is before there was a lack of opportunity and obviously that's everyone just sat back and just thought yeah you know what there's no opportunity so we won't go out there and find but now like Ramadan League Salt Lake Stallions a lot like Villa a lot of people in the community um, there'd be too many names to mention but a lot of people are are doing their best to try to put on opportunities for us so it's just about um, getting out there really and exploring so but I think slowly slowly people will realise and there'll be, be a big influence of uh, South Asians in, in football definitely You found your opportunity to play outside of this community in Sutton Coldfield Town um, but I hope you don't mind me saying you're going to train to teach here yes. um, and you're going to train as a PE teacher how will you well, what influence do you think that, that you'll be able to have in that role? Um, hopefully a positive one. Uh, like I said before, um, we, the kids in this community, we grew up the same, the same as them. We face the same barriers. Um, so we know what they go through. Obviously, there's a lot of negatives and there's a lot of positives, but sometimes, obviously, the negatives get overshadowed. And I think someone like, people like us in these communities, um, when we grow older, it's just we, we can just be role models for these people um, and relate to them more than just teaching and build, build a bond, um, you know, just at, at, on a different level as well, just to make sure these kids, you know, pursue their goals. Fantastic. Right, Shebby's here too. Um, he's from Fan Diversity Group Villains Together. Um, look, Shebby, this is a huge success. Um, are you proud that Villa was so instrumental in setting this up? Well, to be honest, yeah. I mean, it started at, um, at Villa Park at the academy. Uh, I, I actually played in it a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, but I think, it's, like Suf said, it's a really good initiative, gets everybody involved, something to do and look forward to as well. So quite proud that my club had something to do with it, to be honest. Yeah, you talk about looking forward to it. Why, why do people enjoy it so much? I think, like Suf said, it's something for people to look forward to. Everybody's had a sort of a long, hard day, wake up, go to work, other duties, praying during the day. And they've timed it in such a way where it's, it's playable after the, the prayer. So, like I said, it's convenient, it's local for everyone, and 
as you can see, it's a big turnout. It's well, it's well popular as well. So yeah. And your group is affiliated with Villa, and it, and it works to kind of increase diversity in football. Is Villa doing enough? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're quite close in terms of working with both the foundation and the club itself. So we're quite actively involved in the community, such as this. But generally, I think. You know, it's heading in the right direction, so it's looking good, to be honest. So. Yeah, and just quickly, can I get a, a forecast for the result? Villa oh, Everton. Yeah, the big kazoo derby. Um, <laughs> well, it's going to be a tough one. It is going to be a tough one. I always say it's the, it's the, um, it's the oldest fixture played in the, in the English football, so I'm going to be realistic. I think it's going to be a draw. I'd love to see a win. I can't see Everton. I think they're a bit topsy-turvy. I know they beat Arsenal, but I think anybody can beat Arsenal at the moment, so I'm going to go for a draw. OK, fantastic. Well, thank you, Chevy, and thank you, so. That was Roisin at the Midnight Ramadan Football League on Friday night. We now return to our interview with Abayed Hussein. I asked him about the Saltley Stallions, a team he established in 2011 in the wake of the Birmingham riots. I remember in the 2011 riots, we were walking through city centre, a few of us, a few of my friends, and we'd seen some people in, um, in the city centre that, that we knew and we recognised from primary school and secondary school. And they were part of the kind of like, I'm not, I don't know if looting is the right word, but they were part of the situation that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were just nodding our heads saying, what's going on? Why are people doing this? Like, And then we, we, we got to speak to a few people later on and we said, look, come on, man, this is not good. If someone saw you, what would happen? Um, and they were like, look, there's nothing to do. The literal answer was, look, there's nothing to do. Like, we've got nothing to do. We've got, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Like, there was no care about the consequences. And that's when we said, look, we need to do something a bit more. Like we need to create, you know, uh, let's create a football team. Let's let's kind of focus on branding it, making it look professional, make it attractive. People can come and take part. And then at the same time, see if we can get people into employment. Because um, mm-hmm. by now, I, I had left Islamic education. I was working for Birmingham City Council. Yeah. So um, I was speaking to Birmingham City Council. I was, I was working as a call centre advisor for a, a, an external company called Single Resource. And I was, uh, they used to recruit every single, every six months or so. So I used to say to them, I said to them, look, let's try, uh, if I can get you a number of people into employment, um, I would personally vet them, would you take them on? And they said, look, let's give it a trial. Uh, and we gave it a go. So the idea was kind of like using that, what we saw happening in City Centre, create a football team, use that football team, not just for football, use football as the engagement tool, but then try to get those young people into employment or back right. into education. Right. And this was on top of the job I was doing anyway, which is nothing to do with employment or education. Mm-hmm. It was about this methodology that a few of us had in our minds that if someone is working and is in regular employment, their chances reduce significantly in terms of potentially falling into the criminal justice system. Right. Yeah. Um, not saying rich people aren't criminals and poor <laughs> people are only criminals, yeah. but it was just a logic that we, a few of us had, and they said, look, let's, let's use football as an engagement tool and let's try to get people into employment. Uh, and, um, and it worked, and that's where it kind of came from. And, and it was also about me and my friends who never had the opportunity to take our football kind of passions further than we did because we left school and we went and joined private Islamic education where football wasn't the, you know on the agenda, made us kind of lose out on, on, on being able to play the, the sport at a, at a higher level. 
Now, that's really interesting to hear. And, uh, you know, something else we've talked about on All Villains is uh, the growth of women's football. And I see that the Sotli Stallions and the Midnight League also have women's teams um, playing. Could you talk us through where that idea came from, how it was founded and how popular it is? Yeah, um, to be honest, um, I kind of probably was a bit ignorant myself in the in the sense of not realising how in demand and popular it would be for uh, uh, women in the community. I'd, I'd met some um, people in the gym, um, um, specifically a person who, whose name is Yasmin, who's, who's the founder of um, the Sortly Women's. Um, and we were talking about the work that we were doing at Sortly Stalin in terms of what we just mentioned earlier about the riots and trying to get people yeah. into employment. And she was going through a university uh, final year at that point. And um, she was a dissertation on community engagement. So she messaged on Twitter saying, um, would you mind if I could interview or get some thoughts on um, community engagement? And I, I started speaking about this whole situation about, I'd love to do stuff for females as well, but there is an, um, enough demand. In my opinion, there's not, I, I thought at the time, my assumption was there's not enough demand and the community is not again uh, for it. So, um, but it'd be, it'd be a dream of mine to also set up something for the women, similar to how I've done for Sortly Stallions, the men's. And I think it was about a few months later where, she 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 done her dissertation. She texted me back and she said, um, "Is there any female teams I can join?" And having me being someone that worked at the county FA at the FA and and being involved in football, um, I thought, "Wow, no one's ever asked me this question." And A and B, I do have the answer. And the nearest team to you is probably about six miles away, um, and you've got to be of a decent level before you can go and play with these. Because this is not kids. This is a person who's twenty twenty one years old now. Um, and I said, there is a team. This is where it is. Let me be realistic with you because I don't want you to go there and feel disheartened. This is what you may face or may not face. But I'm just being realistic with you so your expectations are, are somewhat um, you know, realistic. Um, however, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't we set something up um, together and we can accommodate for you, know, you wanting to play football? She says, I don't know many people that are interested. So I said, look, all you need to do is get two girls, you and another girl, I'll go and find out within my own family or friends or whoever it is, two girls that, you know, and we'll do a 2v2 and we'll pilot it. And as soon as she said, yeah, it's fine. As soon as we got, I got two girls and there was two of them, I contacted Pete Izada at the, the Aston Villa Foundation and, and Ken Campbell, who's, you know, great, great guys who work at the villa. Um, and I said, guys, I want to just trial this pilot, this, um, this, this, this girls program that we're trying to start slowly. They said, yeah, let's, let's, let's give it a go. And, we had we turned up the doors opened up at 11 a.m for us and there was four girls and, and i got a coach in uh, a female coach that i knew for a number of years and she came in and uh, delivered a session to four girls mm. and i said uh, let's let's do some social media behind this and see if there's any demand and i, I tell you no lie i think we spent two three days just putting some general ads out like posters girls football sessions Within a week, we had 70 signups, girls interested in taking part. And that's just not, not girls from this you know, South Asian community, just any, any girls that were 16 and over. Yeah. And I was taken aback and, and any kind of proved my own ignorance, like never assume anything in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, there's always a demand. We just, you've got to unearth and you've got to, you basically, you've got to provide the opportunities to then understand um, that there's a need. Um, so we, we created this, this platform and now we realize there's a massive need. And, and it's been running since 2019. It was meant to be an eight-week pilot just to see if it works. If it didn't work, then we revisit and look at something else. 
it's been so successful. There's about 100, 120 girls registered at the moment. Um, not all turning up at the same time, obviously. It's, it's, it's a recreational open access session. And this year, because of Ramadan, um, we offered uh, the girls, uh, if they were interested in playing in the Midnight Ramadan League, most of the girls said midnight. It's a bit too late. Uh, let's not do the midnight. But um, uh, let, can we do it um, earlier in the day? Um, just before we break fast. So, so the girls have their midnight league taking place between 5 and 7 p.m. Uh, on Sundays. So, yeah, and that's happening for the first time this year and it's been fantastic. You know, I can't, I don't know how they do it because I couldn't be able to play football when I'm, while I'm fasting, if I'm honest. Um, but they're doing it and they're loving it. Well, that's great to hear. And it's interesting you mentioned, you know, you get big crowds or, you know, pre-COVID, you were getting big crowds to these games. You're getting a lot of people signing up. Um, I remember playing... In, in and around Birmingham when I was a kid. And I remember playing against a lot of British Asian footballers. Um, but what's, what seems to be a bit of a disconnect is that you look at professional football and you don't see a huge number of British Asian footballers um, in playing at all. Um, can I get some idea from you why, you why you think that might possibly be? I go back to a question um, when I was asked by Sky Sports two years ago about why is, when they asked me, and everyone asked, why is there a lack of South Asian professional football players? And I answer back saying, why are you asking, is there, why is there a lack of professional football players? Please ask me, why is there a lack of semi-professional non-league uh, South Asian football players? Or why is there a lack of amateur South Asian football players? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Because before you can run, you need to learn to walk. Uh, you know, before you drive, you get your license, you need a provisional license first. You need a driving instructor inside you. Now, if there's struggles, for the South Asian community to get into amateur or semi-professional football, which should be a piece of cake, should be an absolute piece of cake because everyone talks about grassroots football is, is the heartbeat of what football is about and uh, the Super League wasn't there, grassroots football would die, X, Y, and Z. If, if the South Asian community can't even get into amateur or, or, or semi-professional football, what chance on earth do they have getting into the professional game where it's mm. 150 times, a million times harder to get in because of the various diet and the regimes and the training and the ability and all of these various different things that you need. And, and the reason I say that, and I, know, I do kind of know the answer and why that is, there's a, why there isn't enough South Asians in the amateur or the, or the uh, semi-professional game. Uh, there's, there's, without blatantly and openly saying it, there is definitely a, a, a level of institutional racism happening, 100%. Um, I've witnessed it and seen it myself. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, rather than just complaining like most people would do, um, this is, we should be given a chance and you should be privileged. And I don't believe that. I think you need to make your own way. I, need to be, I think you need to strive about how you do things. But first and foremost, the way we look at it is the facilities. We don't have facilities in the area. I was saying to someone yesterday at the Midnight Ramadan League, in East Birmingham, where we're from, East Birmingham, there's literally two semi-professional football clubs. Both of our professional, us being one of them, and Birmingham Tigers being the second one. Uh, from the from the kind of like South Asian community, like the management or the makeup of the the, the committee is ninety or 90, 90 plus, um, you know, South Asian. Neither of us clubs are based in East Birmingham, so there's a saying you um, you you, you um, to to be you see. So there's no visual representation. So in the local community, there's no club that the local community can turn up to and watch a non-league game. If you go to Sutton Caulfield, you've got Sutton Town, you've got Bolmian St. Michael's, you've got Castle Vale, yeah. Romulus, I know all them teams. Yeah. 
You've got six, you've got five, six non-league teams to choose from, and it's not about the support. It's about when when dad's going to the game, he's taking Johnny to the game with him, etc. Johnny's growing up, he's seeing the number nine scoring, you know, a hundred goals. You know, Mark Bellingham played for Padgett Rangers, scored, you know, hundreds and hundreds of goals. Kids growing up. Uh, want to be the next Bellow or they want to be the next uh, Kieran Clark or whoever it may be playing for these local clubs because they look like the, the same or they're from the same area they see him in the local pub or they see him in the local shopping centre um, and, and there's a sense of belonging and, and, and then that's why you see an increase from those communities here what, what are the kids seeing they can't go to a non-league club yet the nearest non-league club here is Castleville Town why would they go to Castleville Town why would they need to go to Castleville Town so there's nothing Provisions not here. The facilities are not here. You, you, what I see happening is a lot of the governing bodies throwing a bit of money here, throwing a bit of money there, and our, it's our own community's fault as well. We'll say we'll get really happy. We'll do a ribbon cutting and say this is amazing, and then that's our ceiling. Why should that be your ceiling? Yeah, your ceiling, in my opinion, your ceiling should be the Premier League. People would laugh. People can laugh, and I don't mind them laughing because 11 years ago when we said we wanted our own piece of land and we're going to build our own stadium, people laughed, and I, I'm, I'm very thankful that you know we're working very closely with. A lot of people um, within the council and, and, and the local authority, we've managed to get our own piece of land. And hopefully in, in eight, nine months, we'll have the first non-league team in East Birmingham, in, in Bosley Green. And we're hoping that will happen. My life's mission right now, if I, if I get to see this through, is creating a sense of belonging for the local community to come turn up on a Saturday uh, pay a pound at the gate because you've got to sustain yourself whatever it is whatever the costs are if it's free whatever it, you come in you watch a game you have teams coming from all over the you know the city the, the region and you play home and away games and then young people are growing up saying mom dad uncle auntie i want to play for this team or i want to mm. i want to come and train and then we we set up an academy system we set up um, links to professional clubs um and and that's our hope and dream and but to answer the question why why i think there isn't is because first and foremost we've got to sort ourselves with as a community to mm-hmm. um you know have the, the the eagerness and the keenness but to be fair with all due respect we do we want to we want our kids you know 10 20 years ago the excuse was the parents didn't want the kids to play be footballers they wanted them to become doctors and solicitors and lawyers now they do want kids to be footballers but they can't find the avenue i'm i have a six-year-old um uh, player a friend of mine he's he's um his nephew and for the last one year, they've been messaging me saying, Apoyed, can you please help him getting into a team? Because, you know, he's really talented, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've worked in the industry and I can't get no club to look at him. And I've seen the videos and I'd like to say I know a bit about football. Mm. This six-year-old is a very talented kid, very, very talented left foot, right foot. Both. And I just don't know. I mean, I've contacted everyone and no one's replying. Like, And if that's me, someone who has connections within the game, Mm. He's not getting replies. Imagine what the, the community must be facing that they don't have any connections in the game. You know, how are they going to get the six-year-old into an academy? It should be playing in an academy. Now, it could be because of the pandemic. I'm not trying to blame anyone or anything. Um, but if anyone's watching this podcast, please reach out because there's not just one. There's a number of young six, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-olds, uh, even older kids that are, are good enough to be in the academies. Um, and, and, and that was the first kind of reason we need to do more for ourselves, which we are, I think, now. And two, the governing bodies need to, to come and they need to sort themselves out because they need to come and sort facilities out here for the community. They need to, um, you know, like build more 3Gs, build more stadiums, support more like grassroots communities rather than, you know, funneling the money to the, the big governing bodies. You utilize the grassroots organizations that are on the ground delivering, 
when it when the pandemic happened and everyone's on furlough, who was continuing? It was a grassroots organisation that were there still on the ground delivering the work, mm-hmm. non-stop. I'm just really passionate about the whole subject around like why there's a lack of representation, and I think it's important to note that the answers are there. The honest, honestly, they are so. The solutions are so simple. They're very. It's not rocket science. You don't need. We don't want to see another manual. We don't want to see another strategy. It's so simple. It's about space um, and locations and supporting those spaces and, and seeing it through. That's it. And you will see within you will see within four or five years a change. You will see a, you you're we're already seeing that there is you know to be fair the FA are doing a lot of work behind the scenes around the Asian inclusion plan. There's something mm. genuine people working doing stuff behind the scenes, but. I've worked in the industry as well. There's only so much you can do before you, you face barriers and hurdles. Uh, and, and those are the things that need to change. I was going to, I was going to ask you um, how optimistic you felt about how it's going to gr- going to grow for British Asian footballers in the next few years, because, you know, we, we have seen say Arjun Reiki come through at Villa in yeah. the U team and starting yeah. an FA cup game. Now who knows where his career goes, whether he'll make it into the premier league or perhaps lower down, but at least that's like some form of representation. So when you saw Arjun Reiki starting for the Villa against Liverpool earlier this season, did that, you know, did it give you a sense of, of hope that things can change or is it just um, one? I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan and, when I saw Arjun on the uh, on the, in the lineup, I was like, "Wow!" I did, I'll be honest, totally honest. I don't know much about the academy players, but mm-hmm. his name obviously rang out. You know, stood out straight away. I was like, "Wow!" You know, if he's starting, there's got to be a reason he's starting. And and he, and, he, and he was fantastic in the game. He was really good. Um, and I can I, I will I would say there is uh, I can see a change. But before even Arjun, there was there was Issa that was at Villa. Mm-hmm. Issa Suleiman. What a fantastic young man. What a fantastic footballer. I've witnessed him, watched him, live watched him on the telly. You know, England under 17, you know, Euros winner. Um, but what happens next? Do you know what I mean? Like, where does it, where does, I mean, I remember at one time it was touted that Pep Bayern Munich was wanting Isa, Dortmund wanted him, various different teams wanted him. And then all it takes is a change of a manager at a club in a time where it's a relegation battle and, and a manager goes with trusted players that he knows and they come in and the player that was about to get in is then knocked back. And, mm. and I'm not saying that's what happened to Issa. I'm just saying generally, theoretically, that, that, could, that happens. Look at Issa now. He came through Villa. He was taught everything at Villa. He's now playing at Vittoria Guimaraes in Portuguese Premier Division and he's absolutely bossing it. Mm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't want to put any pressure on him. As to what, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Let him do his thing. But Issa, is, for me, Issa is the biggest role model. Is Isa is the man for me. He's from uh, he's from Birmingham. He, he was nurtured and, and developed at Aston Villa. Um, he's he's not given up. He's going and it's the same with Arjun. And I hope I hope he makes it. I hope he gets all the way through and gets the support he needs. And if if they feel that he can't get to the first team, etc., uh, you know, there's people out there that have gone through the same journey. You can reach out to them. But I'm not even talking negative. Um, he can make it. Of course, he can make it. And it's, uh, I can see uh, definitely a shift that there is a change happening, but it's not, it's not quick enough. It's not, it can't be this slow. You know, if you, if you look, pull out the statistics, how many South Asian, how many South Asian people are in the UK and you know, how many are playing football? There's this, it's not, it's not happening. It's not, there's something not going right. And I don't know why that is, but there needs to, it needs to move a lot quicker than it is in my opinion. Well, that's it from us today. Thanks a lot for joining us, Obiad. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've, I really could keep talking for hours. It's a really, really interesting topic. Awesome. Thanks, Francis. And goodbye from me. And as ever, come on, Super Aston Villa. Super Aston Villa.